Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. The following night, the Lord stood by him, stood by Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. I believe that there were those times in the Apostle Paul's life, just like in all of our lives. There's times where, again, we're, man, we're, we're troubled, we are stressed, we're, uh, let's face it, we're not always 100% absolutely trusting in the Lord. Things come our way. And I believe at this point in time, the weight of everything that was going on in the apostle's life, and the Lord just came and brought him encouragement to be able to continue on. Your faith will be shaken from time to time. Do not allow those lapses in faith to fester a doubt in Jesus. Pastor David teaches you that even some of the greatest figures in the Bible came to points where their faith was lacking. Despite their being down, God remained faithful and came through for them in the end. For you too, God will always come through. To prepare for the struggles that lie ahead of you, be in God's Word now. Use the easier times of your life to build a foundation that will help you survive through the hard times. Now here's Pastor David in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 as he begins his message, Paul's Prison Epistles. Tonight, uh, you know, I've, I've gone through a book at a time, and you guys were impressed that I could do a whole book. And then there was a couple of times I actually did two books uh, in one night, and you guys were like really impressed that I could actually cover two books in one night. Well, tonight we are covering what are called the prison epistles. That is four books, okay? And J. Vernon McGee writes, in the year A.D. 62... A quartet of men left Rome, bound for the province of Asia, located in what was designated as Asia Minor and is currently called Turkey. These men had on their persons four of the most sublime compositions of Christian faith. These precious documents would be invaluable if the originals were in existence today. Rome did not comprehend the significance of these writings by an unknown prisoner. If she had, these men would have been apprehended and the documents seized. When they bade farewell to the Apostle Paul, each was given an epistle to bear to his particular constituency. These four letters are designated the prison epistles of Paul. And since he wrote them while imprisoned in Rome, Paul, as a Roman citizen, having appealed his case to the emperor, was waiting to be heard by Nero, who was the Caesar at the time. Well, this evening, we're actually going to go through these four books. And again, this is the 
one year through the Bible series, one year more or less, we are actually, let's see, April, May, June, July, uh, okay, so we're about 15 months into this, so we're a little over a year, but as I looked at these uh, four epistles, three of them, again, uh, fit really well together. The fourth one, as we'll look at it, a personal letter to Philemon. Uh, we'll look at that tonight, but hopefully you'll be blessed by it all tonight. I know I was blessed in uh, preparing it and just a lot of fun pulling it all together. The prison epistles, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and then the letter to Philemon. The three letters to the churches, the one letter to a friend or an individual. It's pretty well accepted that the Apostle Paul was the author of all four of these books. If you do much study, you know that within the the world of higher criticism, they're always doubting who wrote the book, even when at the beginning it says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I wonder who wrote that book. But anyway, he is the writer of these, as we'll look at tonight. Now, the, the, the precise date of the writings, again, is a little bit in question, but they're pretty sure that it's around that AD 60 to 62 about 30 years after the time of Christ. And so as he's writing these things, as we said, he is a prisoner in Rome. It's what's called his first imprisonment. Uh, in, in the book of Acts, we're actually given a lot of clues that kind of allow us to be able to pull together the picture of Paul's situation at the time of this writing. Not completely, but close enough to be able to understand uh, the freedom that he had even while he was in prison. Look with me, if you would, before we get into these four. Look with me, if you would, in the book of Acts, chapter 28. In Acts chapter 28, we read, as Luke is writing here, he says, Now when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard. But Paul was permitted to dwell by himself with the soldier who guarded him. So all the rest of the prisoners that had come to Rome there with that ship were, were sent on into the prison, but Paul was allowed to be able to dwell by himself. Look down in verse 30. It says that Paul dwelt there for two whole years, and he was in his own rented house, and he was able to receive all that came to him. And the next verse, verse 31, he was preaching the kingdom of God and teaching the things which concern the Lord Jesus with all confidence and no one forbidding him. That's an awesome place to be able to be for the Apostle Paul. There in Rome, yes, he's under house arrest, but in that house arrest, it's it's an open ability for people to come and go. Um, Three of these letters, as I said, were were written to churches. Ephesians, written to Ephesus. Uh, Philippians, of course, written to Philippi. Colossians to Colossia. In the midst of these letters, Paul makes mention of the fact that he was in prison. We see that in several little instances throughout. But he makes it very clear, more so than being in a physical prison that was, that, that was placed there by Rome, Paul says, more than anything, I'm a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says that, not in a negative sense, but in a very positive sense. We need to understand that, even as he's writing here. We look at Paul's attitude while he's, while he's there in, in prison, whether it be a rented home or whatever, and he's still under the constraints of a Roman soldier. He doesn't have the freedom to come and go, but others can come in and go out at the time. 
We, we look at this uh, again. He's, he's imprisoned, and we can't help but be literally inspired by this brother who is in a really tough situation, and yet it seems like he has this consistency of his life still in control, his attitude in control, his spirit in check. His attitude is absolutely amazing as we read through, particularly as we read through these three letters, but we also need to understand that there is humanity within the Apostle Paul. You guys know the Apostle Paul, he was human, just like you and I. And there were times, again, of troubling within his own spirit. We, we find that the Lord himself spoke to the Apostle Paul prior to his leaving for that imprisonment in Rome. We actually find that in Acts chapter 23. If you're still in Acts, you just turn back a couple of pages. And in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, it says, but The following night, the Lord stood by him, stood by Paul, and said, Be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, you must also bear witness at Rome. I believe that there was times in the Apostle Paul's life, just like in all of our lives, there's times where, again, we're, man, we're, we're troubled, we are stressed, we're, uh, let's face it, we're not always 100% absolutely trusting in the Lord. Things come our way. And I believe at this point in time, the weight of everything that was going on in the apostle's life, and the Lord just came and brought him encouragement to be able to continue on. And so we see his words to the church here in the first century. They were words of instruction, but they were also words of encouragement, and they were words of blessing, not only for the first century church, but also for us even today. Now, we take just a simple kind of a quick look at these books, uh, and that's all we have time for really tonight. We're going to find the following. The first one being Ephesians, one of my favorite books in the, in the New Testament. Ephesians, it's, it's, it's a heavy letter. Uh, we could look at it and really divide it right down the middle, uh, chapters 1, 2, and 3 in one part of the outline, chapters uh, 4, 5, and 6 in the other side. The book of Ephesians is also called the queen of or the crown jewel of the epistles just because of the richness that's there. It gives a really great depth of both doctrine as well as really practical application, how you and I need to live our lives as believers. Kind of an overview real quick. In chapters one to three, we find these statements of really sound doctrine strong encouragement that, that, again, that allows the church to grow and to understand, again, these powerful doctrines, the doctrines of the Christian faith that Paul's giving to them. Chapter 1, one 2, and 3 deals with issues of the head and of the heart. And then when we get over to chapters 4, 5, and 6, we find this application of many of these doctrines. We find it, again, through instruction as well as that encouragement that Paul gives to him. We have this encouragement to have a consistent walk in accordance with what you know to be right, in accordance to the doctrines of the Christian faith. It's the practical walk of the believer. If you ever want to, again, in a very short sense, in the book of Ephesians, the first half, rich in doctrine, the second half, rich in application on how we need to be living. One of the things that we can't deny is that in chapter one, we have a very strong declaration of predestination, 
of foreknowledge and of adoption according to God's will. But we also know that in the midst of that, we are the ones that need to take that decision to accept that completed work of Christ, and we do that by faith. And again, in chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace are we saved, but through faith. And that faith needs to be exercised by us. For me, the first thing that I see in in reading and studying chapter 1 in particular is this major focus on the Lord Jesus himself. Follow with me if you would. But here in chapter 1, uh, I, I keep seeing this uh, in hymns. Uh, that's what I've labeled it uh, in my margin, these in hymns. Uh, we find in him, before him, to himself, his will, his good pleasure, in himself, the purpose of him, the praise of him, in whom, to the praise of his glory. Look with me real quickly at some of these verses just in chapter one. Verse four, he says, just as he chose us in him. Verse five, we have having predestined us by adoptions as sons by Jesus Christ, what? To himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Then in verse six, to the praise of the glory of his grace. Verse seven, in him we have redemption. And at the end of that, according to the riches of his grace. Verse nine, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself. Verse 10, right at the end of it, uh, all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in him. Verse 11, in him. Also, we've obtained the inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him, who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Verse 12, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory. Verse 13, in him we also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed. Verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance, speaking of the Holy Spirit, until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. I don't know how you can get away with the fact that, man, it's all about Jesus. Every bit of it pointing to in him, of him, for his glory. That's why we were saved, folks. We keep thinking we were saved for our benefit. No, we were saved for his glory, for his honor. We get the blessings of it through it all, though. Now, in, in verses 15 through 23, to the end of the chapter, we actually read about this high place of authority and, and this power which, which God the Father placed on the Lord Jesus. As we look at that, look particularly at verses um, 19 through the end. And, and again, I'm, I'm not going to be able to, uh, to preach on these verses other than to just call them to your attention. There is so much here, though. It's so rich. But beginning in verse 19, what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power? which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. And he placed Christ far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, 
not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. I look at chapter one of Ephesians and I think, man, this this whole thing is just a, a celebration of praise and lifting up and exalting Christ for the greatness of who he is. And then with our understanding of the exalted Christ, the greatness of his power, his authority, and his position, then we move into chapter two. And the cool thing about chapter two is right at the very beginning, it says, and you, that's you and me, he made alive who were dead, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. Those things in which we once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. And then in verse four, we have the but God. And this is one of the, can I say the biggest but gods? I don't know. It's one of the most powerful but gods that that I see in all of scripture. And we see that phrase all through scripture. But I look here in Ephesians chapter two and I say, man, that is a power boat right there. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses. He's the one who made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he's the one who has raised us up together. And he's the one that is what, church? Made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now we have all of chapter one saying how exalted Christ is. And then chapter two comes in and says, but you guys were dead. You were filled with trespasses and sin. But God, in the midst of that, he saved you from that because it's by grace that you're saved. It's not by your works. He's gonna share that in just a moment. But now we are seated in the heavenlies with Christ Jesus. How many of you here remember, if you've been here for very long, you gotta remember Bernice. I love what Bernice used to always say. She says, you know, people keep telling me, well, look up, Bernice, look up. She says, no way, I'm not looking up. I'm looking down because I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. And I thought, all right, I like that, I like that. It keeps the mind going in the right direction. And again, uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, powerful verses, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's nothing we can do. It's a gift of God. It's not by any work that you and I can perform. It's not through, 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 through any kind of a ritual because otherwise we'd be boasting. But he did say, but you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. We're created in Christ Jesus. We are saved in order to do good works, the things that God has called us to do, those things that literally he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. No, I'm not saved by good works, but because I am saved, God expects me to live a life that glorifies him. 
And you got to keep moving because if you keep preaching on every verse, you're never going to get done. Okay. At the end of chapter two and moving on into chapter three, Paul declares the fact that, that God's plan from the very beginning, from the very beginning, was to call both Jew and Gentile, to call all the world, to call the whosoevers of the world to him. Look with me, if you would, verses uh, in chapter two, beginning at verse 14. Chapter 2, verse 14, if I can find it. There he is. For he himself is our peace, who has made both one. And here, again, in the context of things, we understand that Paul is talking about both the Jew and the non-Jew. He has made both one. He has broken down that middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity that is the law of commandments contained in the ordinances so that as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. That and that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, therefore putting to death the enmity or that division, that battle that was there between Jew and Gentile. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you, speaking to the Gentiles, to you who were afar off and to those who were near, to the Jew. For through him, we both have access by one spirit to the Father. So again, in, 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 in speaking of that, he speaks that there, there's only one way, only one uh, ability, and that's through Christ, through him, and by one spirit, we have that access to the Father. Now look down, in, and we're having to skip through some, but look down in chapter 3. Verse three and four, uh, and again, he speaks how that by revelation, he, the Lord, has made known to me, Paul writing here, the mystery, as I've briefly written already. And so you're thinking, mystery, what mystery is that? Hold on, he'll tell you. The mystery, I've already written, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Look down in verse six that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. What is the mystery that Paul's saying? Is that again, Jew and Gentile are saved the same, that he has called the Gentiles to himself just as he did the Jews. Look down in verse eight and nine. He says, to me, who am less than the least of all the saints, This grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God who created all things through Jesus Christ. And then with that, he breaks out in this great, I believe it's a, a song of praise. It's written down, but I wonder, man, if they ever put it to music. Again, what a, what a great song it would be. Look at verse 14. 
For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and the length and the depth and the height to know the very love of Christ, which passes knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Have you noticed a theme weaving its way through Pastor David's messages and really through the Bible? That theme is salvation. It's Jesus. From the very beginning, God planned for His Son to come save the world from its sins. You find this plan ingrained in His Word, in the lives of the key people of Scripture, and in the words of truth each book provides. We're so glad you're on this journey with us. Through the Bible, we pray you're finding Jesus not just in the text, but in your everyday life, too. If you'd like to hear today's teaching again, you'll be able to listen online at theopenword.com. There's several messages there, in fact, and many of them go even more in-depth through a verse-by-verse study of each individual book of God's Word. That website again is theopenword.com. Before our time is up with you today, we'd like to turn it back over to Pastor David for a quick request for you, our listener. Yeah, thanks, Chris. I wanted to take a moment and ask you to be praying for the ministry of The Open Word. I know God is working through the messages I've been able to share, and He's opening hearts to His love every step of the way. As Chris was saying, this book I'm teaching from is just filled with grace, and I want everyone to know about it. Would you pray that more and more people would come to know the saving grace of Jesus? Would you pray, too, for all of us who are creating the Open Word program? We want to keep focused on Jesus, not on us. Thanks so much for praying, and thanks for joining me today on The Open Word. Make us more.